Hello and welcome to Tax Yak, a tax banter podcast. We love yakking about tax, so we've invited a range of tax experts and practitioners, including our colleagues at Tax Banter, Web Martin Consulting and Tax Ed to have a chat with us. We hope you enjoy this episode of Tax Yak. I'm Robin Jacobson, a senior tax trainer with Tax Banter and your host of today's podcast. I'm joined by Arthur Athanasiou, partner at Thomson Gear. Arthur is an accredited tax law specialist, author, conference presenter, and commentator on taxation. Today, we're going to have a yak about Arthur's experience and observations in handling tax disputes for tax agents. Welcome, Arthur. Thank you, Robin. Nice to have you with me today. Pleasure. All right. I wanted to set the scene. There's been a lot of interest by the ATO recently in tax agent behaviour. Yes. And I just wanted to set the scene and, and look at some of the figures the ATO has been quoting of late. Now, we know, of course, that the tax agent community is governed by the Tax Agent Services Act. Yes. They're registered with the Tax Practitioners Board, but the ATO shows a a lot of interest in their activities and their behaviour because that can indicate non-compliance either by their clients or indeed with their own affairs. Yes. So let's start with the regulatory environment, and I wanted to talk to you about something called NOCLA. It seems to be something that's not a great awareness of. What is NOCLA? NOCLA is an acronym which stands for Non-Compliance with Laws and Regulations. And my understanding is it's a an ethical pronouncement that now forms part of the uh, ethical pronouncements for each of the three major accounting bodies, the CA, CPAs and IPAs. And it's now a requirement that each of the practitioners um, observe when dealing with their clients and they detect non-compliance with laws and regulations. Now, at its most simplest, it's where, for example, a tax agent uh, inherits a client and sees an earlier problem. Let's just say there's a Div 7A issue on the balance sheet, which is a a very common example. And the question becomes, well, ethically, how does this accountant, which has worked really hard to inherit this new client to bring them across, how do they deal with the issue? Now, A lot of the times you have clients that probably are aware of the issue that you've inherited, but don't want to deal with it. But where are the boundaries? NOCLA doesn't, as I understand it, require or compel the the professional accountant to disclose the non-compliance. It's about considering whether they should disclose it. So it's a consideration. Well, yes, and a little bit more. So it, it goes like this. Ethically, you have to um, make a decision as a tax agent whether or not you want to continue providing tax agent services to a client where you know the client is in breach of the tax law, for example. Now, it all comes down to a question of how the material the breach is. If the breach is quite material, um, you... Apart from receiving advice, which you should normally do under the Tax Agent Services Act, and I'm just thinking about the the Code of Professional Conduct here, you have to go back to your client and highlight the issue, say how to fix it, and um, ask your client when that's going to occur. Who determines the materiality? Because that's subjective, isn't it? It it is, but you you would see, for example, in a private company or a family-type business where you've got a multi-million dollar receivable um, it, that's probably starting to become material, particularly in terms of the tax, the, the tax that should be paid as well as penalties and interest. But, but again, you, you, you raise the question with your client. If your client doesn't want to deal with the issue ethically, 
you probably should consider terminating the engagement at that particular point in time. And that should also form part of the retainer agreement as well. And your retainer agreement should simply say not what you're going to do, but ways in which you can terminate the agreement validly. Um, but more importantly, um, NOCLA also suggests that in very serious circumstances, you ought to, um, sorry, you should, you are compelled to make a disclosure to the relevant authorities about it. So the tax agent automatically is caught a little bit in the middle of the Tax Agent Services Act, which compels confidentiality unless you have a client's consent. Absolutely, because the tax agent can't disclose anything to a third party unless they get the client's consent or there's a legal obligation to do so. Correct. And not class, not a legal obligation. No, it's, it's only... a legal standard. Correct. So that's why I think um, if a tax agent... Um, has a concern, they should obtain advice either from their own professional body or alternatively from, from legal advice. But again, I would say this, let's assume you're a tax agent and let's assume there's an allegation made that you haven't been properly um, adhering to your ethical uh, requirements. Now, ethical requirements are really important. A lot of tax agents just put them to one side and it's business as usual. But I can tell you now, the professional bodies do tr- treat them very seriously and do um, uh, subject members to disciplinary um, action if there's been any allegation or any evidence of unethical conduct. Now, for many years, that was always published at the back of the the professionals' association's journals. That doesn't seem to happen as much as it used to. Look, I don't know about the public disclosure of them. There should be disclosure, and for just for simple transparency and, and governance. But again, it's it's just one of those things where the tax agent has to make a value judgment. And um, personally, what I wouldn't want to see is a tax agent knowingly um, continuing on in servicing a client knowing that there's an extant obligation to the ATO or for, for tax payable or there should be some type of obligation because if that client moves on, a new tax agent will basically point the finger at you, number one. But more importantly, we're starting now to descend into territory where there might be an allegation that there's some type of aiding or abetting some type of um, conduct. Um, now, not necessarily Div 7A related, but... Um, the thing which also comes to mind is um, the cash businesses where you're a tax agent. Cash economy. Uh, yeah. So you know, and, and putting to one side the benchmark issues and so forth, you know that your client's sustaining a, 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 a standard of living which just isn't being reflected. The last thing you'd want is an allegation, at least by the tax practitioner's board, that um, you know, you're not fit and proper because you're actually assisting the tax payer um, um, avoid the operation of the law. So here's the thing, Robin, you can be the world's best accountant, know all the accounting standards back to front, but if you don't have your registration by the Tax Practitioners Board, you're valueless. It's not worth much. No. All right, I want to run through some figures uh, first, and then I'm going to throw across to you again. The ATO has been uh, fairly vocal in conveying to everyone its, its audit activities. They're looking at a number of tax agents at the moment, and there are a number of tax agents who are, in fact, in the headlights, and I want to point out these figures to you. So the ATO has told me that there are currently just under 100 tax agents where there is potential criminal behaviour. So this is the worst of the worst. This would be Phoenix-type activity. This would be fraud in respect of their own clients. And, and raids have been publicly disclosed anyway that, that have been carried out. They have. 
it's also fraud on the Commonwealth, so not just yes. on their own clients. Very serious and criminal offences. These tax agents are currently being investigated, so that is the worst of the worst. Now, the next layer down, there is currently a strategy to target a further 500. Now, these are ones where a flag has been raised, they are considered to have significant risks, and the ATO will be looking at these to investigate whether any further action is needed. Now, for example, there could be work-related expenses being claimed in these agents' returns that are much higher than for other tax agents. They could have small business clients that are sitting outside the cash economy benchmarks. They may have issues with their own lodgements and their own tax payments. Now, I did ask the question, is it possible that this is a plumber with leaky taps? Have we got an accountant who's so busy and overworked servicing his own clients that he just can't get to his own affairs and get his own tax returns lodged on time and, and taxes paid? The ATS said no, that in most cases where an agent is not lodging their own return and not paying their own taxes, in most cases they will see the same activity in respect of their clients. So there are those um, overflows. Now, below that 500, there is a further 8,000 tax agents that they're going to be looking at in the next four years. Most of these will be face-to-face -face visits. And in fact, some of these visits have already started. Again, these are suggestions of their own affairs where there's a failure to lodge and pay. There may be an indication that they're being tardy with their client affairs. It may be that there are cash economy problems with their clients. There could be work-related expenses being overclaimed. They may have had significant growth so they've put on additional staff and they haven't um, potentially trained the staff up to the required standard. They may have insufficient controls over junior staff. They may have insufficient tax knowledge or they may have too many clients. Yes. So the number of indicators there. But if we just look at those figures, that's broadly one third of the tax agent population. There are about 27,000 active tax agents. So broadly, a third of them are going to get visits from the tax office in the next four years. That's significant. It is. And let me take you um, across, if you like, a 40-year timeline. So when I first started preparing tax returns as an accountant tax agent in the early 80s, um, the regulation of tax agents was about two or three sections in the 36 Act. We never had any communication or correspondence with the ATO except for your lodgement listings on an annual basis. Um, there was very little interaction with the ATO. Move ahead now 20, 30 years to today and going forward. We've got a couple of pressures. We've got, I believe, fewer entrants coming into the profession. I believe that the demographics are such that um, practitioners are getting um, older. Uh, I think that we're getting to a situation where um, going forward, there's going to be less tax agents altogether. But I think most importantly, what's going to happen is that we're going to have a very interventionist ATO. And that means that, again, real time, the ATO will start asking questions about returns that have been lodged. And, and I think we're also seeing that, if you like, in returns that are lodged where the ATO says, before we process the return, we're going to omit this particular item. And to, in doing so, um, if you like, you can object, but look on the bright side, at least there won't be a shortfall when we go back and amend on the other side when you get the assessment. So again, it's part of an, an intervention state here, and um, I think not before time. I think that it's good to have the commissioner come out, sit in front of a tax agent to show that this is a serious game. This is dealing with Commonwealth funds. This is dealing with the public revenue. What do you say in response to the often said response that when asked about the risks of doing things or if there's a, um, a, an incorrect or a, an error being put through a tax return, 
there's often the response, well, what's the chance of them finding us? There seems to be this perception that there aren't audits being conducted, or if they are, we never see them. What would you say to an agent who has that attitude? Uh, luxury adding and folly. Um, the reality is that they will get caught. I've got absolutely no doubt. And um, there's so much data that's available that's that can be um, tested for so many different in so many different ways for so many different parameters. Um, I think that anybody that thinks that by having an error that won't be detected, I, I think in this day and age, I just think is just absolute madness. If an error is detected, happy. if an error is detected, take advantage of the statutory reduction of eighty percent before noted uh, in penalties before an audit is notified, and that would be the only path. And if your client refuses, again, let's go back to NOCLA and your ethical requirements. Um, I think that you know this is the occasion when, if your client chooses not to make a disclosure, probably a good time to part ways. But sometimes they want to keep the client happy or they want to keep the client on board or it's a significant fee contributor. And then don't be surprised if your own registration comes into question when the ATO refers the matter to the Tax Practitioners Board, which sends out quite a, a nasty and terse show course letter as to why you're fit and proper to be mm. remain registered. Now, I've got some statistics here from the Tax Practitioners Board. They're figures relating to both tax agents and BAS agents, which shows an interesting demographic. So if we look at the split of the registered tax agents, 73% are male and 27% are female, and the majority of registered tax agents, got to be more than three quarters, are basically over the age of 50. So you talk about challenges facing the profession and the ageing population of tax agents, that's really stark. Now, if we compare that to BAS agents, 19% are male and 81% are female. And when we look at the, the split across the years, the age of the agents, uh, by far the majority would be under the age of 50 or perhaps some you know, around their 40s and 50s. So it's going to um, obviously land a lot more in the, the favour of the, the younger BAS agent as opposed to the older tax agent. And again, it, it also reflects on what the tax profession might look like in the future. So, for example, um, I understand now why you'd want to have a segregation, if you like, between tax agents who would also encompass the roles of BAS agents as opposed to BAS agents who basically just look after a certain segment um, in the in the entire tax world. But I, I'd say this, I'd say that um, the future of the profession is something that is currently being looked at by the ATO and other stakeholders. I think it's critical that we understand what the future might look like because a future that envelops artificial intelligence, that envelops real-time data collection, that envelops real-time um, error detection um, is one where everybody that's in the game has to be on the ball, has to be very much educated and keep on top with that education and invest a lot more time in their education and training. And um, I think that's just absolutely critical going forward. There's something called nudge technology, and a lot of the, um, the agents and listeners may not be familiar with that expression, but nudge technology is being used by the ATO more extensively. And it occurs where, for example, you're lodging your personal tax return through MyGov, through MyTax, and you go to put in a claim for your car expenses. And you get this real-time message that pops up. You know, are you sure you want to claim that? And so you, you put a figure in again and it says, you know, you're still sure you want to claim that. Nudge technology is a process by which in real time, 
it's going away, checking against your prior year returns, yes. everybody else in your occupation code, yeah, yeah. what other people in your profession are doing, and saying, hold on, that looks out of whack. And so it's able to check in real time by conducting these um, hundreds, if not thousands, of quick calculations and letting you know as you're preparing your return whether what you're doing looks right. This is pretty powerful. Indeed it is, and it's using real information that's accurate. But I'll say this, um, there is a real need in this country for compliance costs to reduce. Uh, we're probably one of the highest compliance cost countries. People have to pay a lot of money to comply with the law, which shouldn't be the case. So if we're heading down the path of trying to reduce those compliance costs, we might even want to think about taking a whole segment of the taxpayer population out of the need to prepare tax returns, such as I-returns, um, only uh, unless there's um, exceptional circumstances. But more importantly, just focus on you know, C returns, T returns and, and partnerships and super funds and so forth. But but again, yeah, look, it, it, going back to the, the main theme here, it's changing, it's getting harder. The ATO's on everyone's back now, overlooking their shoulders as to what's occurring. And um, I think a lot of attention needs to be paid. And back to one of your points about, well, who cares? We won't get picked up. I think that's the reason why that can no longer be the case. And, and for all of the younger listeners out there, I'd stress um, that you really do need to take this serious going forward. Um, get as much education as you can. Stay on top because this law changes frequently and it's getting harder, not easier. Now, further figure that the ATO has quoted me, 175,000. Now, that's clearly not tax agents. There are only 27,000 active tax agents. This figure of 175,000 is the level below the tax agents. These are the staff working with the tax agents. So there's a concern that even if an agent is compliant and understands the law and is um, doing what they should, there's a real importance and need for the staff working with them to be well-trained, to have good processes and be getting proper information about the tax law. Now, CPD or CPD as you might call it, is something that is always um, an attention, uh, an area of focus for the, the tax office and the tax practitioners board and the professional bodies. Yes. And increasingly, they're asking members to substantiate their hours and, and say where they've spent their time. Is this only going to become a greater area of focus in the future? I agree, Robin. And I think it's just uh, illustrative of the fact that the ATO will become more interventionist in the future by reaching out not only to your busy tax agents who are responsible for signing off, but more importantly, also being visual, if you like, to the staff to show the importance of what's going on. And again, this is now a more nimble, agile ATO as well that doesn't just sit back and wait to be fed the right information once. It knows that it's got to go out there and in the vernacular crack some skulls to make sure that everybody starts complying and um, it's just going to become more prevalent as time goes by. Okay. I'd now like to have a chat to you about your experiences. So you're a tax lawyer. Yes. And you will often get involved in tax disputes with the commissioner. Yes. From what I can see in the stories that I've been told, both by accountants and by tax lawyers, there is often an inclination for a tax agent to try and handle a dispute themselves. They think that it will save money that lawyers are expensive, we don't need them, we can handle this without them. And yet sometimes you can end up with matters escalating beyond the skills of the agent. And being caused by the agent. And potentially being caused by the agent. Now, a quick example, then I'm going to throw over to you for your insights on this. 
I heard a story of an accountant who had provided some information to the ATO because they were asked to do so. And it escalated. Eventually, a, a tax lawyer was engaged to assist. And the lawyer asked the accountant, why did you give those financial statements to the ATO? And they said, oh, because I was asked to. And the lawyer said, yes, but they asked for two years and you've provided four. So do you see that happening in your experience where sometimes the wrong information or too much information is being given to the tax office? I I do. um, I see uh, a lot of things occur which shouldn't occur. So the example you gave is one where it was beyond the scope of the request. Um, A lot of people need to also understand, tax agents also need to understand, there are differences between written requests but also notices compelling uh, the production of documents. So there's um, subtle differences under, in what the ATO yes, is asking for. Yes, and, and the ATO doesn't usually like to um, um, provide 353 notices, but it is becoming more prevalent. So, so the 353 a- notice, can you just explain that? Uh, okay, it's the old notice, 264 notice, which is a notice with, that compels um, any person to produce um, anything that or give evidence to the commissioner, um, and a failure to do so um, becomes um, a, an offence that can be prosecuted. Now, the um, uh, the difficulties are this. Tax agents seem to think that if it's just simply a matter of handing over information, you don't need somebody else to do it for you so they can do it themselves. The problem is some of the information might be privileged. Um, a lot of the times the taxpayer doesn't even know. So at the very, very least, the tax agent ought to produce the notice or the letter to the taxpayer and get the taxpayer's consent. Because if the taxpayer doesn't provide the consent in the first place, there's another ethical issue and we go then go back to the Tax Agent Services Act. But again, it's really simple. Know what's being asked by the ATO. Um, one, two, get your client's consent. And three, um, see if you can hand over or provide in the minimum way what's required by the ATO. Otherwise, you're starting to get into a situation where um, the ATO probably doesn't need to see what you're providing, but it might open up a different area of inquiry. It might even be uh, a lot worse for your client. But ultimately, the Tax Agent Services Act uh, requires tax agents to make sure that they act competently and within the area of their expertise. Tax agents aren't experts in dealing with you know pre-litigation issues or litigation issues per se so um, or if the matter becomes litigious um, so they shouldn't be playing in areas where they don't have that expertise and should really be looking for further advice so when should a tax agent engage a lawyer at what point in the process well I'll tell you when they shouldn't and that is when they've gone down a year of cost stress and anxiety and basically made a situation irretrievable um, irretrievably bad leading to um, amended assessments and bad blood um, I think what should happen is it doesn't hurt to get some preliminary advice right up front because at least getting a second opinion at that particular point in time might give you a bit of a complexion about what the issues might be. But more importantly, my illustrate the fact, and this is looking at the tax agent's point of view, that there's a real conflict because their tax agent might have been the cause of the problem. So if you think about it, the tax agents are really in a world of perfect conflict because the um, 
Code of Professional Conduct says you can't act in conflict, but if you're trying to help your client, you are acting in conflict because you're going to look after yourself before you look after your client's affairs. So um, again, really, really good reasons why you should get um, intervention or at least some type of um, assessment, preliminary assessment by um, an expert in the area. And again, more important to make sure that it doesn't go south and that the Tax Practitioners Board gets involved with an allegation that you've been acting outside the area of expertise. So either your client go to the practitioner's board or the ATO. Again, it's all about being um, smart. It's about looking after your client's interests um, to get that second opinion. And if there is a fee involved, then so be it. It's a cost of doing business. What if the client won't pay for it? This is often an issue. They well, don't see the need to engage a lawyer. Well, again, it comes down to the ethical requirements uh, that a tax agent must deal with, and that is the tax agent must say, I do not have the expertise and I think it's necessary. Um, simply responding to an ATO letter might also start you in a downward spiral because you might pr- produce too much or might not produce enough. Um, the ATO might not might know something that the you know your client hasn't told you and you might not even know. whole lot of reasons to tell your client at least get a preliminary assessment, at least get one hour. You know, $1,000, let's say, because I'm virtually certain in those um, scenarios, the tax agent probably wouldn't even want to try and invoice their own time. Um, And again, look, it's the tax agent's own detriment. I see it all the time. They educate their clients to believe that that their clients will pay the least possible cost to get the best possible service yesterday. I don't understand it. Um, I think that clients should be educated that if they're getting a value-added service, they should pay a fair price for it. What would be the the top three things that a tax agent should consider when there is a tax dispute looming or one is underway or they've received the notice from the ATO? What are the three things that they should do at that point? Okay, their own position. They need to assess whether or not they're a part of the cause. Number two, they should get um, advice to assist not only to assist the client, probably get their own independent advice. Because at the end of the day, the ATA doesn't usually ask questions unless they're pretty certain there's something there that needs to be looked at. So there are real issues then about um, the tax agent's own position and whether or not um, um, they're protected as well as the taxpayer. So it's, it's, a, it's a three-way dance, if you like, Robin, and ultimately those things need to be considered. So it's getting advice, it's discussing it with the client. It's making sure that the client and the tax agent both agree that there should at least be a third opinion involved. Okay. And just another observation commercially, there might be audit insurance available. So it could be that some of these costs of, of getting legal opinions can be covered by that audit insurance. And and opinions, it's, it's not just the opinion at the start. The real costs happen if the ATO keeps on dragging out an issue or wanting to know more and more and more. That's when your real costs are going to occur. So someone that knows how to deal with audits and are in a position to try and confine the issues as quickly as possible so that the main primary issue that was asked by the ATO in the first place is the thing that's addressed, you should be you could be lucky and get away with the very least cost, very light touch approach where the ATO has asked a particular question, they've gotten their answer at the review stage, hasn't morphed into an audit, in which case you've saved a lot of money. All right. Any final comments, Arthur? Sure. Tax agents should really focus on their own uh, obligations, should become um, very well aware and, uh, again, refresh themselves about the Code of Professional Conduct and the Tax Agent Services Act, and should also look at the Tax Practitioners Board website regularly, because a lot of relevant information does come out 
from that website. And finally, um, and not just because tax ban are involved, but they do need to get um, regular education and keep that CPD happening. Thank you, Arthur. I really appreciate your time today. Pleasure. Thanks for listening to this episode of Tax Yak. If you're enjoying our podcasts, please take a moment to rate and review the show wherever you are, because it will help to improve the profile of the show. If you'd like to connect with us on social media and let us know what you think or suggest future topics or speakers, you'll find us on LinkedIn and Twitter, or you can email us at podcast at taxbanter.com.au. You can also find our regular blog articles at taxbanter.com.au forward slash banter hyphen blog. We look forward to you joining us next time.